Hey there. I know that you aren't used to hearing me at this point, but I asked Richard to give me the floor for a few moments. Uh, I just wanted to say that we really appreciate y'all. We have over 50 subs on YouTube already. We're getting tons of downloads on iTunes, and that is all thanks to y'all. We want to thank y'all for helping to get the word out about TransformYourGame.net. Y'all come here for competitive strategy content and hopefully a little entertainment. We hope that y'all keep coming back and telling your friends about us. We know that four talking heads discussing the major player status of Perceptor and Horrible isn't one of the especially unique things that we can bring to the table. Y'all don't need all the sage advice from me to know that Whirl is in close contention with Wave 2 SRTs as the worst SRT that's been printed. Uh, podcasts like last week's and tonight's are the kind of information that we want to get out to you to help you improve your game. We care about this game, the community, and helping both of them grow as strong as they can. Wave 5 is finally going to release in a few days, and I'm sure that y'all are chomping at the bit like we are to get your hands on the cards. Hopefully everyone's lives are returned to some sort of normalcy, and with that comes more responsibilities taking up your time. Y'all have kids, spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, jobs, yard work, etc., and you might not have time to test and be ready for your local tournaments like usual. Well, that's what, we are, that's what we're here for. Uh, we've been testing tirelessly, so keep tuning into our podcast and keep your eye on our site for Deck Tech and let your friends know that we're here for y'all. Thank you, Richard, for letting me uh, have a little bit of a voice on this podcast. You may commence doing all of the conversing as usual. Go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, I plan on it. That's kind of the, the, whole, the whole spiel here. Um, but I'd like to thank you, Joel, uh, for imparting that tidbit. And for all you out there, he's right. Um, it's listeners like all of you that make this even more enjoyable for us to keep coming back to. And on that note, we cue the music. Matt, Matt, Matt. Matt, Matt, Matt. Matt, Matt, Matt. Matt, Matt, meow. Sorry, wrong switch. I have summoned you here for a purpose. I thought that was a fantastic way to kick off episode 14 of the Transform Your Game podcast. And while one of my co-hosts got to address you first, I'm actually your host and moderator here. Most people just call me Richard, though. Speaking of co-hosts, I've got three pretty great ones who'd like to say hello. Kent? Careful, you idiot. I said across her nose, not up it. And Kai? You're going to need a bigger boat. And Joel, whom you just heard a moment ago. Hey there, again. <laughs> now, last week, we began a freeform strategy discussion on the importance and some of the specifics of information management to tournament success in the Transformers TCG. We loved getting to cover such an important topic to the competitive sphere, but we didn't honestly come close to covering everything. Before we continue that discussion this week, it is that special time of the show where we do news and housekeeping and all that kind of thing. Everyone's favorite time, I know. Uh, I kid, but... Uh, anyway, probably the biggest piece of news first. As of the recording of this podcast, Gen Con actually canceled their in-person event today. If you pre-registered for a badge like I did, uh, and I think several others here, you should have gotten an email detailing your options as to what to do with that pledge. Um, and you can get your money back. Uh, and while this will be you know, an announcement a few days old by the time of the release of this actual episode, that's still a pretty big deal. 
they did announce that, like Origins, they do plan to do an online event. We have no word from WotC on whether either of those will actually have some digital or online option for the Transformers TCG tournaments that were supposed to take place, the open level as they would call them. Um, next, and arguably as important, the release of Wave 5 Titan Masters Attack is so close I can smell that freshly opened pack smell. Uh, I reached out last week to confirm with my local game store, shout out real quick to the Gaming Goat in Austin, Texas, uh, that the boxes I ordered are still coming through, promo 2, uh, gotta have that Perceptor. In-store events um, are probably a long ways off for many of us, but they'll be back eventually as long as we help the places that host us and host them, you know, stay up and running. Now, I wanted to give a huge word of thanks to our viewers and participants in the Facebook group. We also, in addition to having, uh, you know, a burgeoning viewer base that's occurring, have gotten a ton of great questions. We have a lot of them in the hopper right now, thanks to people chomping at the bit for actionable, relevant information on the game. And we'll get to some of those later, but first, it is time for us to seek our teeth in to some sweet, sweet tips and tricks on managing information in-game. Last week, we went over a couple of different aspects of managing information in-game. We talked about kind of the pre-game portion, when people present their lineup, and the way that it can clue you into how the game might go or what you should expect from your opponent. We also talked about cards in hand. Uh, this can come from a number of different places, whether they revealed them themselves through their own abilities or cards, whether they picked up cards with green pips and swapped them for cards that were previously in their hand, or whether you saw the other cards in their hand through discard or hand attack effects uh, like espionage and the like. Uh, this week, we're going to at least start out with, I think, what is maybe one of the most crucial pieces of this, which is looking through your opponent's scrap pile. Um, and I believe, Kai, uh, you're first up to the plate on uh, talking about it. One of the most classic things that you look for during the uh, scrap pile is for double pips, like just looking for the double pip count, because obviously for like aggro, if, if you see less um, double oranges, then that means that they have bigger attacks coming in, or they probably drew them, but that's less likely. Uh, another thing for like blue decks is like secret actions and things. What secret actions are they running? Uh, how many copies that you may see, especially if they have a secret action set, you can check the scrap pile to see what sort of uh, action that could be. Like if they have all three sabotage armaments on in their scrap pile, then you don't have to worry about playing your weapon. Another thing is like upgrade destruction, uh, something like reprocess or disassemble and the uh, bashing shields and enforcement batons of the world as well as just uh, key cards to the opponent's deck like shockwaves weapons or um, matrixes and energy packs from Optimus, Galaxy Optimus, or things of that like. Yeah, so since I'm the uh, aggro guy, <clears throat> I guess I'll talk about uh, the things that I would do before I attack as far as looking at their scrap pile. If you're playing against a, an aggro deck that's playing just a bunch of orange pips, there's probably not a whole lot of relevant information there as far as, you know, like how many uh, blue pips they might be flipping. I think you already know the answer is probably zero. Uh, but there, there is the, the times when your opponent's playing things like Rollout or Matrix of Leadership, and uh, you don't want to accidentally miscalculate how much damage you're going to swing for, <clears throat> and then they accidentally flip over a blue pip, and you're like, oh man, I didn't even think about that. Uh, so uh, make sure that you know whether, whether their deck is slanted uh, all orange or just mostly orange or all orange with some accidental blue pips in there. The other thing to think about before before you attack that you can find from their from their scrap pile is is uh, what kind of direct damage do they have in their scrap pile? Uh, a lot of times when you're going to attack with a character, you are 
possibly trying to protect a different character by swinging with this character, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna attack with this character that only has one damage left on him, but you're gonna be forced to attack him and over over damage him and and deal too much and and protect another one of my characters. Well, if you look through their scrap pile and you see that there's cards like marksmanship or uh, camion crash or cards like that, you know you, you can know that uh, you might not actually be protecting the character that you're trying to protect. They could direct damage your your attacker out of the way and then freely swing at whoever they want. Um, now, if they have three camion crashes in their scrap pile and no other direct damage in their deck, well, then I guess you're safe. Uh, but you, you have to know that those are that that's a possibility. So it, it just gives you more information about what the chances are they have one. You know, if, if they have 30 cards in their scrap pile and they have one camion crash and that's all uh, in their in their scrap pile, I'm just using that card as an example. <laughs> there's a really good chance that they have one in their hand or that they're going to draw one because there's multiple copies still left in their deck, or there's multiple direct damage cards as is very popular in in the current, well, in the upcoming meta anyway. So th those are things I'm looking for before I attack. Uh, if my opponent is playing aggro, if my opponent is playing blue, then like I was saying, I'm looking for double pips. Hey, what, what's the chance that my opponent is going to flip double pips uh, when they're defending? Or uh, what kind of secret actions do they have that I'm going to need to try to play around? Are there three copies of Sabotage Armaments already in the scrap pile? So things like that are, are the things that I'm looking for when I'm looking through my opponent's scrap pile before I before I attack, before I decide who I'm attacking with. Um, th those, those are the main things I'm thinking about, whether they're, if they're playing a defensive slanted deck. So looking at the opponent's scrap pile is one of the most important um gameplay things that I do to manage information. Um, if you sit across from me at a table, I am constantly asking to look at your scrap. I am watching very carefully uh, what cards you're flipping on both attack and defense, uh, because my goal with this game is by the time that you shuffle your deck again, I already know your entire deck list. And if you have that information, it can really help guide you to having proper decisions um, throughout the course of the game. That's really, really, really important to pay attention to. In regards to the kind of decks that I play, you know, obviously I either lean towards combo or control decks um, when I can't play combo, when there's gears in the format, basically, <laughs> with his stratagem sabotage. Um, so playing secret actions is obviously a huge part of playing blue right now. And, you know, Sky Shadow Horrible, those decks are beatable, but you have to play almost perfectly with your secret actions and, and such and make really, really strong decisions um, if you're going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with that deck. One obvious example is belligerence and you having in-hostilities. So... Obviously playing a secret action deck and playing blue, you're going to be running at least, you know, one to two copies of Spy Master's Ruse. So when you play Spy Master's Ruse, it's important as you've, you know, accumulated more secret actions in your hand uh, through various means, either pocket processor or perceptor, it's, it's important to like realize what is in your opponent's scrap. And is, do they already have like two belligerents in there? Um, are they about to reshuffle or did that happen early on? 
Um, do you even want in hostilities right there? Or are you best served with stable cover or take cover? Um, what is the correct thing to do? And it's all based on what's in their scrap pile. Do Should I put down my sabotage armaments yet? Well, you know, they flipped a grenade launcher and they're playing black. So I'm assuming that fusion bores in there too. So they're probably running three copies of each. So probably sabotage armaments is a good idea to do. Also, if they're about to swing in with their big character into your major character, that's also like, hey, they're probably going to try and stack on as much damage as humanly possible. So sabotage armaments is a good bet there. Hidden fortification, if you think that they are about to play uh, supercharge or are about to play fight for position, and you know that. You know, Kent, you, one of the things you talked about uh, was the idea that like when somebody's shuffling their deck back in for maybe the first time, maybe the second time, you, for, for all intents and purposes, know their entire deck list, right? You should. You should yeah. know if you've been paying attention. Exactly. Um, and even if you don't know the exact numbers on things, you should have like at least, you know, a pretty fair acquaintance with the types of things that your opponent is playing they could be playing. Um, right, like what isn't what in their hand is not guaranteed to be information that you're privy to. But other than that, right? Um, I think that one of the, the one of the key aspects of keeping track of your opponent's scrap pile is actually thinking about what is in there before they reshuffle and how that affects your timing of particular lines of play. Um, I have actually a, an example in mind when I'm talking about this. So I was playing a game the other day where my opponent um, uh, was down to two heads. He had an Ominous and he had Briscoe in play. Now, um, both of them were tapped because they had just KO'd my Sky Shadow and I had an Ominous left on my side of the field. Um, because of the way I had played over the course of the game, I've been able to stack it so that when my Ominous was going to come out untapped, uh, I would have Scoundrel's Blaster to make him go from two Pierce 4 to four Pierce 4, and I would have Hold the Line in order to prevent damage, prevent, uh, him from taking more than um, two damage from Briscoe's attacks. The only thing that this line lost to was counter espionage. But I had kept track of my opponent's scrap pile, and I knew for a fact there was a counter espionage that my opponent had neglected to pick up earlier in the game, and that he had not reshuffled his scrap pile yet. Now, he was going to in that first attack, so I was still going to be sweating just to see, like, uh, you know, whether or not he did end up picking it up off the draw by some fluke, you know, some freak of nature odds. Um, but because I knew that my opponent had played uh, the counter, or had neglected to pick up the counter espionage earlier, I knew that my line of play was not going to be susceptible to that, and it was only going to be susceptible to something like Cambian Crash. It dealt more than one damage to my character. Um, so because I, I, you know, this was basically the best line of play that was available to me of the ones that I had, uh, because you know, enforcement batons and stuff like that didn't really matter, um, I ended up playing those cards out like I did. Um, I attacked into Ominous, dealt him damage, so he was KO'd. And then when we untapped, my opponent drew, tanked for a long time, and attacked. I flipped my hold the line, and I could only take two damage, leaving my guy, uh, my character, not KO'd and able to swing in for the for the final win. Now, this is actually a pattern of play that has repeated itself a number of times. And it's far from the only time that I've that I've thought about what my opponent was had not yet shuffled in or was about to shuffle in before things happened that way. 
right? I think that one of the other things you can look at as far as like timing and shuffling in is when to KO something like Fort Max. Now, uh, Kent, you've been on the podcast before talking about the fact that you think the best part about Fort Max is actually um, Cerebros? Is that the head? The seven star head? Yes. Uh, Yeah, yeah, Cerebros can like, that's when the game really kicks into high gear. Um, Even though Fort Max is not a uh, tier one type deck, um, I actually wish that they let the second head ability stack on than it might be. But yeah, the the fact that you can just start picking things up on attack and defense if you uh, have the tough two head on him, like yeah, it's it gets really, really, really absurd. Like you play a backup beam on uh, Cerebros, and then you play, uh, and then he has the freeze out um, attached to him, and it's like you're playing free upgrades just over and over and over and over. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that I've found to help me be really successful against that deck, because even if it's not tier one, I think it's good enough that and fun enough that people will be playing it, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Um, that the best way that I've found to render Cerebros from being uh, like ineffective functionally is to KO Fort Maximus at a time when my opponent is about to shuffle their scrap pile back in to their deck. Yeah. Exactly. Because, because Cerebro specifies that you get to play things if you if you hit the the pip requirements on him, you get to play things from your scrap pile. But if you sh- if you, they shuffle in the scrap pile during combat, even if they hit the pip requirements, they get nothing. You're blanking the text and thus making him an underpowered character because without that ability, he is objectively a little bit low power level, particularly like in the HP stat, you know? Correct. So I think that's one of the things I'm talking about when we're talking about timing. So I'm not just talking about what's in my opponent's scrap pile. I'm talking about when and on what turn they are likely to shuffle it back. I think it's one of the things that's really key for us to keep in keep in mind. Um, so I, I think that one of the things that you can look at as far as like the um, as far as like the, the tournament success that is derived from from doing something like looking at your opponent's scrap pile and keeping in mind, being mindful of what the types of things are in there. Um, do you guys have any uh, any players that you've played against where you noticed that they did a really good job of this? Stefan. <laughs> yeah, Stefan, Stefan smashed me the other day, so that was... I appreciate he was doing that a lot. Yeah, I was actually, that was the person I was thinking, it came first to my mind as well, was um, actually, in addition to that, I also, when I played uh, Scott in Orlando, at PPT Orlando, he looked through my scrap pile quite a bit, trying, I think he was trying to discern how many disarms I had in my scrap pile, uh, but rest assured, I had I had both in my hand, so we were good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but Stefan, is, like, when every time I've played him, he has uh, dug through my scrap pile, um, and he knows everything in there, been through multiple times, and it's basically every, every single time through my deck for the most part, right? And he plays quickly enough that this isn't an issue for him, which I think is another thing to, to, to like mention, because I think that this is the type of technique that like if you add it to your game, it will add time to your turns and your decision making, but it will lend you like greater outcomes. So all you have to do is make sure that you're playing at a pace that is respectable, um, and that way you're not uh, causing yourself to tie unduly or something like that clearly he's doing something right when he's t- when he is like digging through really seeking out trying to, to gain mastery and knowledge of all the, all the types of cars that have been in the game so far and that might be 
So um, I think that's just one of the things you should you should point to, right? Like, if this is if we're talking about these are the types of techniques that people should be employing to improve their success rate and their win rate in tournaments, their you know their finishes, um, I think pointing to people who do them excellently is a great way to I don't know have other other people weigh in on this type of topic. Um, Speaking of topics, <laughs> I think we should move on to our next one since we did dawdle here for a little bit. Um, one of the things we kind of delved into, I know you in particular, Kent, uh, some last week and then a little bit in the earlier point, was just like the, basically the concept of uh, secret actions and the way – like what goes into decisions to play them, what goes into the decisions of kind of predicting or playing around opposing ones. And I, it's just a, – it's a fascinating facet of the game and each set we continue to get more and more powerful and interesting secret actions. Uh, I think this set's no exception. Wouldn't you say, Kent? Absolutely. I love the secret actions in this set. And so let's flip this around for a second. Let's say you're the aggressive player and you're playing against a blue deck that's trying to wall up behind a bunch of secret actions. Um, you can use a bit of strategy if you are managing information properly. And that is looking you know, at their scrap what have they played so far? What have they flipped on offense and defense? Like, oh, I see you have three uh, hidden fortifications down there. All right, awesome. You might be good to go. Or I see you have at least two sabotage armaments in your scrap right now. Well, my weapon's probably safe to play. And if not, hey, I see there are no sabotage armaments in your scrap, but you've got a secret action down. Huh, maybe I should hold my weapon. Maybe that's the correct play. Do I really want to blow blow up my fusion bore right now um, when it's my big guy? And they were probably just waiting to play that sab for when my uh, main character was going to swing. Um, so those are really things to consider when you're on the offense, too, um, is really, really just taking in all the info that your opponent is giving you. Um, and a lot of it is forced uh, just because of the nature of the game of flipping cards on offensive defense. So gather that information and then use that to make the appropriate call in the moment. Yeah, there are also situations in where you could where you might be able to see like what secret actions they have, like you mentioned earlier. Um, I think Hold the Line is probably like one of those, every deck is going to play it because it's just good enough because of the green. And I've, I've seen a lot of aggro decks actually playing more secret actions too because of Sky Shadow. Him being able to abuse uh, and hostilities has also been very strong. So it's things like that that you also need to look out for. But also just from their lineup, just what type of secret actions and how many they might be playing as well. because. An aggro deck usually probably only runs like two, two or three, especially if they're playing the villainous spotlight, they might be playing even the score mm. and probably either hide, hold the line or hiding spot or something like that. Or if it's a blue deck, they're more likely to play the, the good generic ones like Sabotage Armaments or Hidden Fortifications or uh, and Hostilities, of course. But um, yeah, it's just things like that and just knowledge of what you've, uh, what general deck archetypes you've seen that would be playing secret actions so yeah just keep an eye out for stuff like that yeah kai kai was talking about my my favorite secret action from this set the uh, hold the line uh, because because of the green pip you can pick it up and you can you can use that in in so many situations and the white pip is also a very functional useful pip uh, but i wanted to like sort of backtrack and go back to what kent was talking about there for just a minute <clears throat> 
about uh, with with all that talk about sabotage armaments and maybe I should hold my weapon. Um, yeah, if your opponent doesn't, if your opponent's playing blue and you, so they're probably playing cards like sabotage armaments and you don't see any in their scrap pile and they play they play their they play their secret action. It's I I kind of don't think it's always the best idea to just hold your uh, hold your weapon and 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 not use it. Um, now I if I have the choice between using uh, enforcement batons and a grenade launcher. I'll probably use the enforcement batons <laughs> or something like that. But I, I don't think that you you should always. If, if you do that, you're sort of playing their game anyway. Uh, even if they didn't have sabotage armaments, maybe, maybe they just got a fourth sabotage armaments in their deck because you were you refused to play a weapon. So it might as well have been sabotage armaments. It stopped all the damage anyway, even though it wasn't sabotage armaments. So sometimes, sometimes you just have to go for it, and it, it depends. It's obviously uh, depends on the scenario. I mean, yeah, you don't want to just run blindly into their sabotage armaments over and over. Well, you know, Joel said just play my grenade launcher, so let's go. Uh, you know, that's not necessarily the the best option either. But holding holding back uh, isn't. Joel, hold on, hold on. Before, yeah. I don't mean I don't mean to interrupt you, but I do have something to weigh in on this. Okay. Um, so I think that there are other ways to play around it besides just what Kent mentioned, where like you're you're sandbagging your weapon for future t for the next turn, right? right. You can mm -hmm. do things like you can de you can deploy you can use your upgrade to either deploy something defensive, or if that's not an option for you, you can deploy a weapon onto a character who has yet to attack, right? Right. Like yeah. you can you can play something on your next guy, and I think this is also one of the situations where sturdy javelin just shows itself to be just so infinitely better <laughs> than other weapons in many instances, right? And the fact that it has the ability to KO a guy out of combat, the fact that it actually is a weapon that has effectiveness through opposing sabotage armaments, or other ways to play through it as well. So, you've, you have quite a few options if you build your deck in the right way, when it comes to this kind of situation. Right, yeah, I mean, you don't just have to go just head first into what looks like it's probably a sabotage armaments anyway. There, there are definitely ways to play around it, uh, but if, if you're playing against a, a, a blue... A blue base deck playing a bunch of secret actions. It almost doesn't matter which secret action they play. It's going to be some sort of defensive. It's it's a secret action. It's defensive. That's that, that's what they do. They, secret actions don't say um, your opponent doesn't attack and you get to attack three more times. I mean that does that's just not how they work. At least not right now. Maybe in wave six. But, <laughs> but for right now, you get all out attack. You get to play an all out attack from your sideboard. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, so at least, at least right now, yeah. I mean, if they're playing a, if they're playing a secret action, of course, it's something defensive. You, I, I think, I think where a lot of um, aggro players run into problems playing against decks based around secret actions or these control type decks is that they, they try to play around all these things like that, and then they're just playing the game the way that the control deck wants them to play, which gives mm -hmm. them, which gives the control deck a lot of time to take control. And and your deck is not functioning properly then, so um, it's not always best to just, as as Richard said, sandbag. Yeah, I guess the second week in a row where you've brought up um, the idea of kind of like creating a forced script for your opponent is this something you often do in play? Um, it's definitely how I like to play Magic. Uh, back in the back in the day, I was uh, I was definitely a Timmy kind of player, where uh, I would I would. Bring out huge guys for very little mana, or or play sly and and knock my opponent's uh, creatures out of the way, and continue to just peck at them with with little dudes and not give them a lot of time to make decisions. Interesting. 
Okay, okay. So one last thing about secret actions to think about is like, what is the relevance in the matchup? And what what is the card, like if you are the aggressor and you're playing against secret actions, what are the cards that you're most scared of? And in exactly what situation? Again, I want to um, re-emphasize this uh, point that I made last week. You really need to know your matchups inside and out, or you can easily get taken to the cleaners. Um, even when it's, you know, Sky Shadow Horrible and it's that that deck's basically just draw a card play it draw a card play it um it almost plays itself but you can still run into bad news if your opponent is playing a lot of secret actions and you're not paying attention and figuring out how to play around it and what to expect uh based by looking at their scrap pile um you don't want to play like a belligerence and just run into an in hostilities i mean belligerence is is the biggest blowout um, to control decks that they've ever printed. And another way to like get around that too is with counter espionage. I know Stefan, uh, when we played, he was like counter espionage, get rid of that uh, in hostilities. And I already knew as soon as he said in hostilities, I already knew what was in his hand. And next turn, sure enough, there it was. And I didn't even have an in hostilities because I hadn't drawn it. You know, you have three in it, copies in the deck, but it doesn't mean you're going to see it. Mm -hmm. Also, another thing to, that we uh, kind of glossed over, too, because we were talking about it being uh, secret actions in their hand or scrap pile. What secret actions are under Perceptor? Like, that's something to really make note of and pay attention. Like, okay, one of their sab sabotage armaments is under Perceptor. Hey, I even got a heroic resolve under Perceptor. You know, um, if you, if you're the aggressor, that's really good news. Um, probably not what a wise player would do, but it depends on how you separated the piles and what they had to take in the moment. Um, so that's another thing to consider as you plan your strategy for beating a control deck. Absolutely, I think it's funny you mentioned heroic resolve too because I think um, while we're on the topic of secret actions, like. One of the, probably the most impactful stratagem that I've seen out of the set, other than obviously Sky Shadow Sync, right? <laughs> yeah. um, is is uh, maybe Stealth Mission, yep. Night Racer stratagem that like gives you access to two uh, secret actions that, that cost a star, right? So you get something like Even the Score, you get something like uh, Heroic Resolve, you get something like As Kai's Deck Tech put up Lucky Dodge, shout out to Major Shockwave for that one. Um, but I think all of those cards are okay. So there's 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 no arguing that those cards aren't very powerful, right? But I think that um, one of the things you should you should be doing basically is like when you see somebody play Villainous Spotlight, when you see somebody play Stealth Mission or Heroic Spotlight, those are cards that have to be on your radar for probably the first time, right? So that may that may be a, a a consideration that is new to certain players. They may have never played against those cards before, right? Um, like the only time I ever played against Heroic Resolve before Wave Five ever got released was against uh, I think is it Omega Supreme is the three-part combiner in Wave Four. Yep. yep. Yeah. So you know he's 22 stars. I think all three pieces combined, so you get three star cards. And so uh, I played against a, uh, one of the my local guys was playing a triple Heroic Resolve version, where he was just trying not to die for forever. 
Um, I think that maybe we've done a little better with some Spy Masters Ruse action going on it, but that card wasn't available at the time, so who knows, right? Um, hey, that deck got better. Like now you can play Heroic Spotlight and have a ton of double blues. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Gotta um, watch out for Pierce. Uh, <laughs> direct damage, though. Yikes. You mean the thing that's everywhere? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, actually, no. Now that we're now we're on the topic of Spy Masters Ruse, I think that's probably the biggest point to uh, kind of like the evolution of the discussion of secret actions when it comes to. Um, this wave and like what it's done differently. Besides the fact that it's printed a couple of really powerful ones, some with some with green pips on them, I think Spy Master's Ruse is the most interesting wrinkle to use the uh, a common adage. So, what do you guys think are like the value considerations of like both playing Spy Master's Ruse in your own deck to improve your secret actions versus like what kind of considerations it makes when you see it played from the other uh, from the other player across the table? Spy Masters Ruse is absolutely my uh, favorite card that they've ever printed. Um, I'm in love with it. I'm going to marry it. Uh, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. But what it does is it it helps you wall up in a very important way. Um, like I say, they're playing aggro. They're playing. You saw belligerents get flipped. All right, here's my Spy Masters Ruse, and hopefully you have an in hostilities, and it just sits there. And if that didn't exist, you probably were going to lose if they drew belligerence. You probably were. I mean, grenade launcher, belligerence, fangry with like some bold head on it. Like he's going to just chew you up and spit you out on your on your main character, perhaps. So that's really something to consider. I, I think uh, blue is definitely reeling control decks are definitely reeling right now um it, it's kind of hard for them to survive in this meta but they would absolutely have zero chance to survive if spy masters ruse was not um included in the set spy masters ruse has also saved me multiple times against sky shadow horrible um when i'm just like put a stable cover down and hey, here comes Sky Shadow for a lot, um, but I've got the defense from Night Racer's Tough One. I've got a Hollow Matter projector on there, and you know he's coming with a ton of Pierce, and then I get plus one defense from Stable Cover, and there's no Pierce. Um, that has saved me so many times and been like the reason why I've uh, won certain games. So. Very, very, very important card. I love you, Spy Masters Ruse. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things about Spy Masters Ruse is how much it puts on your hand. You have to pick it up, so you have to have a card in hand, and then you also have to have the secret action to play. So I think blue decks that traditionally don't have strong hand advantage, i.e. Uh, up get Galaxy Prime, uh, just don't really can afford to play or at two, you probably would, you could try three, but I don't know if Prime can afford that much uh, off color, but um, things like that. So Shockwave, Perceptor, uh, stuff, car characters that generally, naturally generate card advantage is where you're most likely going to see Spy Master's Ruse. But also, very recently, um, Christian Young, he did, he's, uh, at the time of this recording, he's uh, in the finals of the Vector Sigma uh, webcam attorney, which shout out to them for doing that. It's been a, a real fun to watch, but Very he's cool. played he's played one Spy Masters Ruse in his uh, Sky Shadow Horrible list, 
And the reasoning for that was just so that he could ping hor with uh, horrible when he plays a secret action. So I think things like that is also something that you need to look out for uh, in the future because hmm. that that's it isn't just for blue card for uh, blue decks. Orange can run it too because they're playing more secret actions now than ever. So just thing to note. Interesting. I actually hadn't I hadn't seen that. I need to go look at his actual deck tech because uh, like all I've seen is the one that he played in the in the, the previous tournament, the the Chrome Dome deck with uh, right. Horrible. But um. But yeah, that's actually really cool. I hadn't even thought about that, believe it or not. <laughs> well, one more thing about secret actions in blue, or control, I should say, because it doesn't have to just be limited to blue. Um, one of the things that is difficult right now, and it kind of goes along with the Spymaster's Ruse talk, is having the appropriate secret action at the appropriate time. And I think that that is the main reason why Blue is struggling so much right now, is like, wow, I really needed a Sabotage Armaments, but I don't have it. Or man, I really needed that in Hostilities right then, but I didn't have it. Or I really needed that Stable Cover, because here comes a ton of Pierce, but I just didn't have it. And what I would love to see, possibly in a future wave, is modular secret actions, like, Imagine you have a secret action that says reduce all direct damage this turn by one or reduce all pierce this turn by two. And those are just, you know, arbitrary, you know, numbers right there. But something like that would actually help blue kind of stay in the game a little bit more because it's definitely the wave five meta definitely leans hard into uh aggro being the dominant archetype with all the direct damage and pierce we're gonna go ahead and call a discussion for today um and move on to viewer question portion just to make sure we get a couple at least one of those in um y'all cool with that yeah cool cool um all right so we have, a, we have a bunch of great ones great questions from our viewers um i i'd like to try to get two in but we might just only have time for one so uh here comes the first one uh, all the way to us from Minnesota via friend of the cast, Christian Young, who did get a shout-out earlier from Kai. Uh, but he asks, what are your thoughts on cards that have a quote-unquote deal damage to yourself for a big effect type of card? Um, I ask this because back in Wave 4, cards like One Shall Stand and Recul Reckless Charge saw either no play or thrown to the sideboard because of the vast amount of defensive blue decks um, and the kind of like wall they could build up. Now, there seem to be many more cards that follow this trend in Wave 5. Kami and Crash, Magnetic Dysfunction Ray, and of course, Horrible. Uh, do you think cards like Reckless Charge and One Shall Stand will see a new home or a new life in this upcoming metagame? Or do you think the new self-damaging cards just outclass them in terms of usefulness? Hopefully that all made sense. Uh, it did make sense, by the way. Yeah, that made a lot of sense. So. I don't think that the new cards necessarily outclass the old ones, but the reason that they're so good, well, okay, let, let, let me let me put that a different way. Let, let's look at Camion Crash, where it deals uh, one to one of your guys and and then two to somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. one, to, one to one of your guys and two, right. So that's just a way better ratio than you get out of one shall stay and one shall fall. I mean, it's pretty obvious, much better ratio, and it, it works uh, in concert really, really well with horrible. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's a it's a pretty obvious, pretty obvious things 
thing that those two cards go really, really well together. Uh, magnetic dysfunction ray, the same thing. It, 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 it goes well with horrible. I'm not. I mean, I think Cam and Crash would see play in a similar fashion to like what One Shall Stand used to. Uh, now it also has a relevant pip with the black pip, which is why it works with horrible. But I, I think that the the real catalyst here is actually horrible. Cam and Crash would get some play. Magnetic Dysfunction Ray would get some play, but because of Horrible, those cards are seeing massive amounts of play. Um, so I don't really think that they outclass them as much as it's Horrible that is that's driving them to get played. Um, Reckless Charge is a interesting card, uh, but again, it's like the ratio. You get plus four, but your guy's taking three, so that's a four to three kind of thing. Whereas King of Crash is two to one. I mean, my math. My math not isn't so good, but four to <laughs> is a lot better than four to three uh, in most in most scenarios. So it, it it it's just yeah. I get I guess in that case it outclasses it. I guess that's what I'm saying. It outclasses it. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, I agree with you. It outclasses the <laughs> You're you're right on that one, but but I think that uh, that there's also the 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 thing about. Reckless Charge, while I'm on that card, is that it doesn't deal that damage until, doesn't deal that three damage to your character until after combat is over. Whereas Camion Crash is just, your guy's taking one. Maybe, maybe your guy only has one life left anyway when you attack with your Reckless Charge and it's sort of a, you know, last ditch effort kind of try to win the game right now because I'm going to lose next turn anyway. Whereas Camion Crash in that kind of case wouldn't actually help you. So um, they're, they're, they're situationally they're situationally really different and they obviously go on completely different kinds of decks. I I agree. I agree actually a lot with the points you said, Joel, and some of the points that you presented in your question, Christian. Um, so I think here's the, here's the thing about most of these damage yourself for an effect cards is that they are balanced in a way where they are supposed to have at least a really similar impact to both players' board states, right? So I think that um, you can even extend it to a card from Wave 5, Last Stand, which is plus 5 damage on a Black Pips action, but it KOs your character at the end of the turn. Now, I think those are similar, uh, like a, another card in a similar vein, right? So these cards all try to establish like a symmetry to the way that they are impacting each, each player's board state. Now, I think that trend still holds true with Camion Crash, with Magnetic Dysfunction Ray, uh, with, I mean, there's some other cards to do it too. My brain is blanking at the moment, but that's not the point. Uh, Rock Toss, I guess, stuff like that, right? Um... But the thing about Horrible being in place is that what he does is he allows you to break the symmetry of these cards, right? I think even Sky Shadow is a, is a, is a card that lets you break the symmetry of cards that are self-damaging, like Camion Crash and uh, like Magnetic Dysfunction Ray, because if they result in a, in a combining of those two pieces through the KO of one of them, then you actually get an additional three damage out of it, or you get an untapped character. So the impact to each player's board state is not actually equal <clears throat> because of the way that these cards interact with specifically those two characters. I think the fact that those two characters are kind of cheaply costed um, and are Decepticons means that they just break the symmetry on a lot of these cards, and that is why these are seeing so much play. I think One Shall Stand might be a card that comes back. Mostly because I think it's the type of card that lets decks that aren't playing horrible compete on a similar access to him. Um, but I don't think that Reckless Charge is a card that we'll see a lot of play. 
Uh, I think part of that is because there are a lot of characters in this set who just have insanely large health pools, natural to defense. Like, I, I don't know if you guys have noticed a similar trend, but I've seen a lot of characters in the set that just have, like, a bunch of health and two defense. And it's just not unreasonable. You know, the health heads seem to be the best heads to put on the Titan Masters as well. So if that's the kind of thing that's prevalent, and if Horrible is going to be hitting back at you, dealing you direct damage on the other side of things after you play your Reckless Charges, then it doesn't seem like Reckless Charges is actually earning you tempo or advancing the game in the way that you actually want it to. It looks like it feels to me as you're kind of actually more helping out your opponent do what they want to do to you. Right, like you're giving them a hand up. Where Reckless Charge used to, you never used to really care about the three damage that you were dealing to your character because you were just advancing the game to a point where it didn't actually matter because you were getting so much more out of it. And I don't think that's necessarily the case here. Yeah, I really love the idea of taking damage to get in a specific effect and using your character's life as a resource i really love the necropotence deck from magic back in the day and just using the life as a resource and i could really see that happen further down the line with future waves with more cards i i keep thinking about what ways they could make their the characters be a resource in themselves besides their flip abilities um, or something that they inherently get, you know, when they attack or, or whatnot. Uh, but something like, what if we had a blue emergency barricade and it gave plus three until end of turn or until the end of battle, but it also zapped your, your character. Maybe you have a new bigger they are, only this can go on any character. So you get four pierce and but it you know hits you for two so you plasma burst yourself uh when you use it so there's lots of things i, I always think about it from a defensive and and blue angle you know those type of things so i love the idea love it yeah but uh back to the question though uh i, I think uh reckless charge kind of i've always never really been a fan of that card because um it just overkills in the aggro mirror and then it sometimes gets there and then it sometimes gets there against control but if you don't then you just you just gave them a free damage so i've never really liked that card but one shall stand i think definitely is a potential for a comeback because three damage outside of horrible is still pretty crazy so i i can definitely see some decks utilizing that and i think i've also been trying to trying it out in some some of my builds but yeah i think the rate on camion crash is kind of just crazy which is why i love it so much <laughs> even even though i was already willing to play plasma burst but you know that's 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 whatever <laughs> now we do have time for a second question from one of the good people who commented uh and this one comes to us from mike ryan actually um he wanted to ask us uh, who do you think is the most overhyped or overrated card? My guess is he's talking about character, but you could be talking about battle card. Um, now that you guys have had time to test. While I keep saying that the meta is, is kind of figured out, um, we're still trying to break it at the same time. So for me, battle card wise, it's been Master Sword. 
I think a lot of people were just like got stars in their eyes of blue getting a plus four weapon and it just hasn't been as maybe as good as we thought it master sword still has uses but character wise a lot of people have been hyping on brawn and i understand like hey he gets you know the free pierce but his health is so low and it i i don't know i feel like yeah that guy pierced me for three but it didn't matter because you're playing orange black anyway or if you're playing blue and you have brawn in your deck you're gonna lose anyway because that's just not I, I don't know that that guy's doing much for you. Um, I don't know. We've been back and forth as a team about Brawn, and I would just infinitely rather have Night Racer or even Flame War uh, if you can afford the flip. Uh, so for me, uh, Escape Capsule has definitely uh, lost a lot of its luster for me because um, outside of Fortress Maximus, you just realistically can't pilot can't afford the extra turn to put more weapons onto your character and then escape capsule uh the it, it i would just play it really for the pips but even then it's kind of just whatever but also master metallicado has not impressed me enough at least to where i feel like i have to play general Op, uh, optimus prime from wave three in order to, to use it effectively and i I kind of don't want to do that. So, <laughs> but yeah, that, those, those are the two uh, overhyped and overrated cards for me personally right now. Yeah. So for me, uh, I, I was super, super excited about Tripwire, and while I still think the effect is super powerful <clears throat> because the because the meta is slant or appears to be slanting so much in the aggro and pierce and direct damage department, and although it's direct damage, it's uh, it, it just the, the power level just isn't quite there to to meet the the orange black onslaught as it were uh, and for me the most overhyped character was definitely whirl oh, whirl i knew you were going to say whirl i knew it 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 i get the third i mean come on we, we built so many amazing decks with him uh, that that just beat everything that we're hiding from everybody because because we're all so good and we're and we're, we're going to unveil him later. Yeah, right? sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they all have a stratagem. So that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what to say besides world's terrible. Let, let's just go on after that. Sure, sure, sure. Um I think for me, so since we're doing one of each, um the most of high battle card for me was Energon Mace. Um, I was super high on Energon Mace when it first got spoiled, and then, slowly, over time, they revealed a bunch of cards that said Autobots suck, and so Energon Mace is just primary laser, but it's a Decepticon card, and, uh, I don't know, that's just really hard for me to actually get excited about, which is a bummer, because I thought it was a card that was, for example, if you'd had access to Energon Mace in the previous format in Wave 4, I think it would have been so different oh yeah i really do yeah. i think i think it would have been so different um mm -hmm. but this this metagame is so different from, from, from you know pardon me so it, it presents a completely a completely new set of challenges and and hurdles to overcome and so i think that a card that is an answer for the last format is not really needed and that's where i've been kind of disappointed by that card 
I think for characters, it's definitely Wind Charger. Wind Charger is the character who I was highest on in like kind of during spoiler season that has been super unimpressive to me outside of it. I think part of it is that the health and defense pools on like that naturally exist on characters have been, has been has proven to be a real obstacle for his initial attack. Uh, and then the fact that he only has 11 health for seven stars means he's just below the curve uh, these days, right? When you've got uh, a minimum of 11 health with two defense on Fangry, if you're not playing any of the, any of the uh, HP heads, um, and then you've got uh, Horrible who normally wears like Grax, right? Then I mean, uh, 11 health and one defense is just is just not enough, right? Like. It's not enough to warrant the fact that he becomes a basically irrelevant attacker after the first turn of the game. Um, so I'm a little down on Wind Charger from where we were. Um, and I think, unless we want to, you know, uh, you know, kind of like wet blanket some of the other cards, that that ought to be it for us. You guys have any other ones you really want to take? Like, what's the opposite of a shout out? <laughs> like. A takedown? You take guys want to take down? Fierce <laughs> takedown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't think we do. So on that note, uh, well, unless I, I think I think Energon Mace and uh, Tripwire are actually good cards. It's just the format didn't work out for them. That's that's all. I, I would argue Tripwire is probably warping the format, even though it's not being played. But I think that's probably true. I think yeah, I, I, I can see that being the case. Yeah, and in all fairness, uh, I was really excited about Windsweeper. Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, whenever he was revealed, that's right. Uh, just like tons of ideas going around about him and Slipstream. So anyway, uh, yeah, I was totally excited about Windsweeper, but his ability is just too slow uh, with with the format being so quick and 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 your guys just go down just too fast. Yeah, what with with horrible hitting you for like five direct damage just for playing the game. <laughs> just for just because he's out there and you played an action and an upgrade and then a flip and you ended up taking five i mean like plus hey here here he comes you know with fusion borer or the plane does and all that it, it just the the format is so fast um if you're playing orange that yeah wood sweeper just can't at this time keep up yeah well, on that note, uh, we will close out episode 14 of the Transform Your Game podcast. We do sincerely appreciate everybody out there in the ether listening to us, wherever you are doing so. Uh, you can find our other episodes and more down the line on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. Uh, we've got links in the description. And if you found the input information here valuable, you can find more strategy analysis, tournament reports, and more like it at transformyourgame.net. And we look forward to being back to speak with everybody next week. But until that time, clear eyes, flip bots, can't lose.